0: Thank you for choosing this podcast for the BJSM community. I'm Daniel Friedman. And today I'm very excited to be welcoming back Dr. Alex Hutchinson, to discuss what's making headlines in the world of exercise and fitness science. Alex is an author and journalist whose work appears in Outside Magazine, The Globe and Mail, The New York Times, and The New Yorker. He has a keen interest in exploring the limits of human performance, which was the subject of his latest book, Endure. Alex, thank you for being on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Daniel.
0: In February, a study published in JAMA Network made headlines and clogged up Twitter feeds around the world. And all I could make out from all of the clickbait stories was that I should be trying to do more push-ups. And I was hoping you could start today by explaining what all the fuss was about.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely caught my attention because I, I, I saw a lot of headlines and saw a lot of tweets. The, the basic message seemed to be if you could do 40 push-ups in a minute, you would live forever. Uh, and that's a pretty enticing idea. So, <laughs> I think a lot of people around the world were dropping to the floor and s- seeing how many push-ups they could do. Uh, the The basic study it was published in JAMA Network Open, and it used health records from about just over a thousand firefighters in Indiana, typically men in their 30s and 40s for the most part, who had done a bunch a uh, baseline physical test before starting or returning to duty. So they had this great data where they had a bunch of baseline physical. Measures of these firefighters, and then because they were all monitored by the same clinic, they had an idea of who had suffered from cardiovascular events over the subsequent you know, about a decade they were followed up for. So they just they crunched the data. It Said, it does how many push? One of the tests they had to do at baseline was how many push-ups can you do at this rhythm of one push-up, uh, or I guess it's eighty push-ups every in, in in two minutes is the rhythm. You do them with a metronome, and and they had got this nice clean relationship where the more push-ups you could do the less likely you were to suffer a cardiovascular event and the, the headline result was uh, if you could do more than 40 push-ups in this period in, in this period you were 96 percent less likely to suffer a heart heart problem than those who did less than 10 so you know what it, it it was it was it was clickbait but it was also it was kind of irresistible even to those of us who, who like to pretend that we we can resist clickbait so I, I looked into the study and wanted to get a sense of Uh, What it actually told us and whether there was anything more to the story
0: So 40 push-ups was the magic number. What were some of the other numbers that were being talked about?
1: Yeah, I mean they basically just divided it up into uh, in in groups of 10 who did less than 10 who did uh, 10 to 20 20 to 30 30 to 40 or above 40 and you know in theory in this it was a 2 minute test you could get up to 80 but but the difference is i don't know how many people got up to 80 but the differences between people who did 45 and different people who did 80 were kind of mar, you know it's uh, marginal returns at that point and also uh, sample size of you know roughly zero so th- th- they just i think those were those they were binning the data by convenience just in terms of who where they could get the the most people so who knows maybe those who can do 60 are even better off but uh Experience tells us that, that the measurable benefits of, of increased fitness tend to be, uh, it gets smaller and smaller uh, as, as you go higher. So 40 seem to be the kind of threshold where you're like, well, uh, it, more than this, it's great, you're going to look good, but it's not going to make a huge difference in your cardiovascular prognosis.
0: Was this simply a linear relationship, more push-ups, better outcomes? I mean, it seems like an obvious finding.
1: Uh, not quite. you know I, I mean again the there the, were a total of I think 37 or 39 cardiovascular events over the follow-up period. So we're talking small samples in each in each bin so you, you don't want to read too closely into them but when if you sort of eyeball the data, what you see is if you're doing less than 10, that's a problem. And then if you're doing more than 10 then you know 20 is better than 10 and 30 is better than 20, but it's not as big a leap as if you're below 10. The, then your prognosis is really seriously different than all the other categories, and of course that gets us into a more complicated discussion because the the sample size or the sample here is male fi- firefighters with an average age of I can't remember somewhere around forty. So this is not like people who can't do ten push-ups. This are you know who are seventy-eight and and. Uh, you know, have an exercise. This is people who want to do a very physical job. And so you could say, even before doing this study, you could say, if you've got a a male, you know, 35-year-old firefighter who can't do 10 push-ups, you know, there's an issue there, right? Like, you could could already guess that.
0: Besides push-ups, what are some other more traditional ways to clinically assess cardiovascular health that you've read about in the literature?
1: I mean, so in the study, they had one other comparison, which was to basically an estimate of cardiovascular fitness based on a treadmill test. So it was a submaximal treadmill test and based on the, how, I can't remember the details of of the particular test, but uh, they, they they produced an estimate of basically VO2 max and they found that the pushups, and this is again, one of the sort of clickbaity kind of things that the pushups provided a better diet, uh, prognosis or prognostic, uh, power than, than the treadmill test, which is surprising when you're talking about prognosis for heart disease. And I think it's worth scratching a little deeper on that because this is a sub-maximal estimate uh, based on you know, predicted heart rate. So it's like you get to 85% of your estimated max heart rate, presumably based on the sort of 220 minus your age stuff. And then how fast you're going when you reach that heart rate, that's, that's how they're estimating your fitness. That's not the same as doing a, a, a treadmill test to exhaustion and actually getting a proper measure of your ca- cardiorespiratory fitness. So in my mind, the gold standard for for these sorts of prediction of, of, of heart disease is a maximal treadmill test. This is not something that every doctor is going to do every checkup. So it's it's not a practical test, but it's the, it's the best test there is. And the fact that the treadmill test didn't do as well in this study probably reflects the fact that it was just an estimate of, of cardiorespiratory fitness.
0: And speaking about treadmill tests, you reminded me of a recent paper in the European Journal of Preventive Cardiology in which the authors concluded that estimated age based on exercise stress testing performance actually outperforms chronological age in predicting mortality. And I think here again, it was cardiovascular mortality
1: yeah and I think that's a, that's a great illustration of the the prognostic power of, of your fitness and that how you're able to perform is probably a better indicator of, of your future health than yeah like your chronological age or, or any number of other things. And, and of course that sort of brings up all these other functional tests that have that have made headlines over the, p- the past couple of decades uh, ranging from you know grip strength to self-chosen walking speed or even the, the you know the timed up and go test. And all these things, I think are really, first of all, they're, they're catnip to readers, right? Like, like, oh, that's a test I can do myself. And they're really interesting tests, but they're, they're a little bit dangerous because you, they're the type of test that you, once you, there's sort of like a, it's a sort of Schrodinger's cat kind of thing where once you know what the test is, it's very hard not to sort of cheat by, by studying to the test. You know, as soon as you know that, oh, if I can do 40 pushups in, in a minute, I'm going to live forever then you you go and do some push-ups for a couple of weeks, and then you can do 40 push-ups in a a minute, but you haven't really changed your cardiovascular prognosis. All you've done is is sort of study to the test.
0: So while these may be simple, accessible, and very cheap tests that clinicians could use in their practice, we may actually be doing patients a disservice by letting them know about these tests through the media so they could go and test for them. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes, uh, I guess that is what I'm saying, although I would say, the people who are most likely to go and cheat on these tests, uh, I mean, that's great. That's great. That th- These are the people who are motivated to go and, and 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 try and improve their fitness. And they're the least likely to be in trouble. The people who are m- probably least active and most likely to benefit from exercise aren't likely to read this study and decide to go and do six six weeks of push-ups just to see if they can get up to 40. So I don't think it's a serious problem to, to have these studies revealed. But I think what we want to distinguish between is endpoints and diagnostic tests. So it's being able to do 40 pushups in a minute is not an endpoint. It's not not the goal. It's one way of measuring how you're doing towards the goal, which is being the actual goal, which is being healthy in a broad sense. All these different tests, whether it's grip strength or self-chosen walking speed or timed up and go or pushups, are all kind of measuring the same overall constellation of behaviors and traits, which is being physically active, eating well, being conscious of your, of your health. So I guess what, what I would, what I would want to avoid and what I was, what I was tempted to do when I wrote about this study, but what I realized I needed to to sort of resist the temptation to do is to turn it into a thing where it becomes the push up challenge. See if you can get sort of like 10,000 steps has become a, a, a goal rather than a, a you know, a, a goal in and of itself. You have to get your 10,000 steps a day. Well, it's not like you have to be able to do 40 push ups. You have to live more broadly in a way that will hopefully mean that you tend to walk pretty briskly and have a firm handshake and get up out of a chair without problem and do some reasonable amount of push-ups, which is maybe 40 for middle-aged fit men, but is going to be a different number for you know 20-year-old women or 60-year-old men.
0: In your experience, what are some of those key things that people need to be doing day to day to? stay healthy, stay fit, and to keep looking at the bigger
1: picture? Yeah, I mean, I think the simplest answer is, is, is kind of everything. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, not, that's a very, uh, you know, not a very practical answer. But, you know, I, so personally, I'm a, I'm a long-distance runner. And running is great. In in a sense, talking about cheating to the test. If you want to do a treadmill test, well, I'm going to ace every treadmill test because I I run a lot. And so if you try and plot my you know prognosis on the basis of my score on a on a cardiac stress test on a treadmill, uh, I mean I look like I'm invincible, but that's not true because it just happens to be that's the that's the activity that I have have chosen. And so for a broader based message message of health, and I think why the the, the push-up test resonated for me is because I'd probably fail that. And and fail other things because I haven't been necessarily doing as much resistance uh, training as I ought to. So, whatever magic activity you identify, being a, be it uh, you know uh, res- resistance training or aerobic training or you know eating whatever the latest diet is, those all may be important. But the more the more effort you spend on that, the more you may be missing out on these other aspects of having a well balanced, you know, health and fitness regimen.
0: Aerobic and resistance training are two things that are highly contentious in the literature, as you know, and back in 2011, you publish a fitness science book that asks which comes first, cardio or weights, and your answer time and time again seemed to be it depends, but I also understand that there was some new data on the same debate cardio versus weights published recently.
1: Yeah and this was a great relief to me cuz uh, you know really the title of my book in 2011 was a complete disaster it was called which comes first cardio or weights and it meant that I did all these interviews where people were asking me the first question of every interview was like okay so which is better and you know it was a perfect setup for a really uh, you know lame and uninformative answer like well both or you know neither or it depends i think i think it's true and and so there was this study that that came out recently uh from Iowa State where they and it's not the first one to do this, but what what they did is they they took a group of, of older adults and had them do uh, eight weeks of either uh, aerobic training or resistance training or a combination of cardio and uh, of aerobic and resistance training, and they were all exercising at a, at a level that increased health markers, but t- t- somewhat to their surprise, the the signif- most significant benefits came in the combination group. So, even in things like blood pressure, which you normally think would be, the, you know, there's a reasonable amount of evidence that would suggest that aerobic training is really the most important thing for reducing blood pressure. But they found that a, ro- a mix of aerobic and and resistance training had the best results. So that was sort of validation to me that you know I'm sorry, it's it's such a, a vague and a, and a, you know indecisive answer, but it, it is the answer. You need you kind of need to be doing everything, not you know not a ton of everything, but you even for someone like me who really loves one particular activity, uh, if you you need to be thinking more broadly and and doing different things and challenging yourself in different ways.
0: Are there any situations in which you would choose one over the other?
1: Well, certainly, yeah. I mean, wh- you know, when, whenever you're asking a question like this, you have to think carefully about what, what is the goal you're trying to pursue. And if, if the goal you're trying to pursue is to run a, a fast 10K then or a fast marathon, then, uh, you know, running is the way you need to do it. And then, and, and conversely, if, if if your goal is to look good at the beach and get big muscles or to be able to lift furniture or whatever, then resistance training is the answer. When you start talking more generally about health goals, it's, it's a – uh it's a sort of a, a long and never-ending debate about well if you're trying to lose weight or if you're trying to change your you know your insulin sensitivity or something like that you can f- come up with pretty good arguments in favor of of one or the other i don't think there's a strong case to be made and and so what i you know what i took away from this most recent study is not that there's some sort of magic alchemy between aerobic and resistance training where you combine the two and somehow that sends a molecular signal that's better than either, you know, either form of training on its own. It's more that people are different, uh, and people at different stages in their lives have different needs and have different genetic backgrounds and environmental backgrounds. So on balance, if you're giving broad based public health advice, you, if you tell someone tell people that they need to do both aerobic and resistance training, then whatever their particular, you know strengths and weaknesses. That's going to produce the best overall effects. It may be that that's in some sort of I don't know if it's a utopic or dystopic future. We'll be able to do a genetic test or do some test and say, well, you need exactly this kind of training, and that's where you're going to get the best results. Because uh, it's it's it is clear that some people respond differently to you know to one type of training or the other. M- maybe that's going to happen at some point, but it, it's not there yet. So right now, I think the the advice you you give to pretty much anybody is. First of all, find, find exercise that you enjoy, uh, that you can sustain and you'll do for, you know, hopefully continue for the rest of your life. So that's num- number one is like it doesn't really matter what you're doing if you're not doing it. So find something you can enjoy. But hopefully don't m- make sure it's not just one thing or, or ideally try and find more than one thing or different types of activities so that you're challenging yourself in different ways.
0: So in a nutshell, the best exercise is the one that you will actually do.
1: Yeah, or, or maybe let's amend that slightly and say the best exercise is the two that you'll actually do.
0: Alex I think this is a great place to end it but before you run off and try to do some more push-ups if our listeners would like to find more about you or follow what you're up to where should they go
1: probably the easiest place to find me is on Twitter my handle is sweat science that's all one word and that's where I post uh, you know any articles that I find interesting I do have a website alexhutchinson.net but uh, Twitter's the most uh, active and up-to-date place
0: and for all our listeners we'll be able to link those in the show notes Alex Thank you for your time today and helping us make sense of all these confusing headlines.
1: Thanks, Daniel. It's uh, it's fun to try and sort through it. You've been
0: listening to a BJSM podcast with Dr. Alex Hutchinson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with friends or leave us a comment and connect to our social media channels. You can also follow All Things BJSM via our app, where you can find more podcasts, our latest articles and other content. As always, we hope you have a physically active day.